It's Friday, January 20th, 2023, and today on the Xavier Newswire, on Muskie's Talk, we'll break down the NFL Divisional Round, get you set for the Bengals matchup in Buffalo as they take on the Buffalo Bills. We'll dive into Xavier basketball as they are hot after 11-game win streak, folded on Wednesday night when they lost to the DePaul Blue Demons. We'll break that down next and many more. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Biernett. In the studio we sit on this Friday afternoon. And Alex, it's been a couple weeks since the holiday break. How was your Christmas? And uh, how's everything going for you back in school? And here we are on January 20th. Well, John, I'm doing well. A lot has changed over the holidays, especially for our Muskies, who have had just an absolutely terrific run aside from Wednesday's game against DePaul, which we'll get to in a minute. But then also, like you mentioned, the Bengals got a big game in the divisional round against the Bills coming up this week, and they're hoping to get back to the Super Bowl. So a lot to come. The Cincinnati sports times right now, Alex, are very impressive, and we're looking forward to just the run. Hope the Bengals can keep that run going. Xavier, it ended last night after an 11-game win streak. But I feel very promising about this team. With Sean Miller, we mentioned how they brought Sole Boom in, the grad senior. You know, you bring in uh, some freshmen. What has been some of the key factors to Xavier since the holiday break up until Wednesday, went on that 11-game win streak? What has been the key factors to that? Well, I think the most key factor for Xavier this year has been their offensive uh, efficiency, particularly in the category of assists, where I believe they're top three in the country or around there. And then they're also top three in points per game. They have one of the best offenses in the country with just about the same personnel outside of Sole Boom, and you could argue Desmond Claude, who's probably the seventh man. Uh, but it's pretty remarkable what Sean Miller has been able to get out of this group, who last year was certainly anything but offensively efficient and were more identified by their defense. And now that script is certainly flipped. Uh, and, you know, you'd like the team to become – a little more sound defensively because defense travels more than the offense and you saw that be a theme on Wednesday when we struggled to stop the ball especially from the three-point line and we just could not get anything going on offense. You mentioned those two ads to Xavier's roster they added. We, we had a lot of talks before the season started up and before the first semester when they added Sole Boom and Cam Craft and they added Desmond Claude but Xavier, the one guy I think that's really helped this team right now is to play a Zach Freeman, a guy last year we talked about a lot, struggled in his junior season, you know, started the year of injury, didn't really get anything going last year. But with Sean Miller coming in, he was suspended to start the season, came back a week later, and since then he's been a key enforcer, not just down low, but he's been able to knock down shots outside on the wings for Xavier. And defensively he's played very well too. Yeah, and he obviously had that big 29-point game at Villanova, which helped propel Xavier to their first win at Vill uh, in Philadelphia at Villanova. I think that was the first time since 1956 or 59. So it's certainly been a long time. Um, but it seems like this year when it's not Zach Fremantle producing, it's Jack Nungy stepping in, especially in the last couple games. It seems like Fremantle goes and, you know, he, he plays well, gets his double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds or so. 
But Jack Nunji's really stepped up in these last few games, and he's been doing a lot of the dirty work, a lot of offensive rebounds that have helped Xavier uh, get some close wins. The two guys on the inside, Nunji and Fremantle. To me, Alex, and just as a Xavier fan, as a Xavier student, watching the games last year when you had Nate Johnson and Paul Scruggs, who were good guards, but you bring in a guy like Sole Boom who's able to penetrate, who's able to score the basketball, and with the leadership he brings to be able to get the ball inside to two big guys like that, you think that's helped Xavier be able to get Fremantle and Nunji going just to play Boom's been able to do for Xavier's offense and Xavier on defense? I mean, he's a great defensive player also, just like Fremantle I mentioned. Yeah, certainly. Anytime that you have guards that are able to dish the ball into the big men, especially a guy like Soli Boom who doesn't turn it over a lot. He's a great passer. And even Colby Jones as well. Um, who They both look to get the big men involved, especially early. Um, and those just help complement the greatness of the bigs inside who have been one of the best front courts in college basketball. You think coaching, as you've been watching Xavier games your whole life from Cincinnati, you think coaching with Sean Miller has been – a huge factor to Xavier being a good team this year, or is it just the guys they able to bring back, the guys they brought in, or has coaching really played a big factor, and then them winning 11 straight games, them being 15-4 and four right now? Well, I think you have to give uh, all of the credit to the coaching staff of Xavier. They inherited a group that, you know, they didn't really know what to expect. Obviously, they go out and win the NIT championship last year. But that was without Coach Steele, and you never know how a group is going to respond when their coach gets let go, especially a group that was as close net to their coach as this one. And then they go out and are able to completely change their identity, like I mentioned, to an offensive powerhouse, which is not something that Sean Miller is accustomed to. Uh, with his previous teams, you look at his teams for Arizona and Xavier, they were all defined by that pack line defense that they played and their grit, and were never really a top offensive team in the country. Uh, so this is... Sir, you can see that in that year or so off for Sean Miller, he was looking to see how he could become a better coach and take that next step, uh, all in an effort to get to his first Final Four. Xavier's never been to a Final Four. Right now they're 15-4, as I mentioned. You get Georgetown this week. But before we get into the games that are about to be played for Xavier, they'll get Providence soon. will be a very tough game. Take me through the loss on Wednesday. You're, I'll give my opinion on here in a second, but you watched the entire thing like you do for every Xavier game. What did you see in Chicago that Xavier struggled? Was it not scoring the basketball? I know Colby Jones and Soleil Boom didn't shoot the basketball very well. But what led to that loss? Well, whenever you play DePaul and St. John's, who are pretty consistently uh, down there with Georgetown as the top three worst teams in the Big East, but DePaul and St. John's especially, they play a very scrappy, uh, intense brand of basketball that doesn't always result in wins. But I would say it definitely throws off the typical game plan for a, a team, and even a good team like Xavier, who was ranked eighth in the country coming into this game. But it looked like to me the entire time Xavier just could not get into any sort of flow with the um, scrappy nature of DePaul. You know, they were going for loose balls, playing real hard, making their sh making really difficult contested shots. Um, it, it was DePaul doesn't play a flashy brand of basketball. I mean, they're going to go out there and grind it out. Like I said, they're not going to win many games, but they're going to seal a few every year. And it, 
it does always seem like Xavier struggles, especially when playing at the Paul. You know, usually played in an empty arena. It's hard to get in any sort of rhythm, especially shooting the ball when it's like that. You know, no crowd to support uh, <clears throat> what's going on on the court. So it's just kind of I, – I think it's almost a weird game that can turn into a trap game, which it obviously did for Xavier. But I, I wouldn't say that I thought that their heads were too big coming into the game. I just think that they weren't able to execute due to DePaul's play, um, which is something that they'll definitely correct, and it's a good learning moment for the team. The rhythm never really fell there for that game on Wednesday when they were at Chicago and against DePaul. Though, Alex, we didn't, they didn't shoot the ball very well. And they've been able to do that for most of the games this year. Really have a good, you know, be able to make shots. And Boom and, and Colby Jones weren't able to do that. Is Xavier a good enough team, from your opinion, that they can go out there and, and when they don't shoot the ball well against teams that maybe like Purdue, Alabama, UCLA, Gonzaga, teams that they're going to have to, you know, they score a lot of points. Can they go out there if they don't shoot the ball well and play good enough defense to beat a team like that? I would say yes. I mean, I think Wednesday was definitely an anomaly. You know, you only have Sole Boom and Colby Jones combining for less than 15 points, and I think they were like – I don't have the exact stat line around me, but I, I believe yeah. it was like five for maybe 30 shooting or maybe even worse than that. Mm-hmm. And then I also saw that we were 12 for 30 on layups, which is just – it's a thing that happens once or twice a year, uh, and that's where you'll lose the game because I believe we didn't really miss many free throws, and that's usually something you pick apart on a one-point loss. But when you go 12 for 30 on layups, and most of them were bunnies, you saw some of our best players like Soli Boom, like uh, Colby Jones and Jack Nungy just missing absolute bunnies, and you wonder what the heck's going on. But sometimes it's just one of those nights, and it's not working out. Uh, like I said, kind of a weird atmosphere there at that DePaul Arena in Chicago without a lot of fans. Uh, it's just going to happen. But I certainly think that even on an off night, Xavier's shown they can hang with anybody. And I do believe they're still a top 10 team in the country. Do you, did you, you said that you don't think their heads were too big going into this game, but you just mentioned how they weren't able to make their layups. Does Xavier need to refocus? I mean, is, you, I, you just said you don't think their heads were too big, but I think personally they got to refocus. A loss does that to you. You don't want to lose to Paul. You don't want to lose in general. But – going into a game that they should win on Saturday against Georgetown, who hasn't won a game in the Big East all year, and they haven't been able to do so in a long time. They won the lead back in 2020. Struggled last year, though. Can Xavier find – is this going to help Xavier refocus and find a way to collect themselves and get back into winning ways? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that they need to do a complete readjustment. Like I said, you know, the best players that are going to come to play 95% of the time aren't going to play games like that. And I certainly believe that, you know, going back to the locker room and especially on that plane ride home, Soli Boom and Colby Jones definitely feel like they let their team down and they're not going to want to do that again. And I, I, I know that, you know, they're not going to have many games like that because they don't want to let their fan base down. They don't want to let their teams down in what will likely be their last years here at Xavier uh, when they have such a special group. And, I, you know, you can't get too wrapped up in a loss like this because that's when you can start to play tight in the next game. It's just one of those things where I'm sure Sean Miller was preaching that, you know, sloppy game, didn't make the shots that we should have, but we just got to kind of move on, get better, and move on to Georgetown and not think too much about it. 
this is kind of off topic, but do you think Sean Miller comes here, a guy who has great success at Arizona, took a year off last year. You know, he coached here at Xavier before for five seasons. Do you feel like when he came here, he was expecting to have this kind of team? We talked about this offseason. You know, Xavier wasn't sure who they were going to get back. But do you, do you feel like the team felt like they were going to be on January 20th at 15-4 and four going into the season? I mean, yeah, it's the expectation for Sean Miller. You go back to his teams in the early and late 2000s there when he was with Xavier, the, the players that he had as far as talent, they weren't anywhere close to the you know four-star guys that Xavier's recruiting year in, year out. He's just able to get the most out of his players. And I think a prime example of this uh, is Jerome Hunter, a guy who was you know not exactly a fan favorite for Xavier fans the last couple of years as a transfer coming in from Indiana, whose profile coming into the university was a you know a shooting specialist who was solid on defense, but you know he couldn't really buy a bucket last year, made a lot of mental mistakes, looked like he was never comfortable out on the floor, but Sean Miller tells him, hey, I want you to be the sixth man this year. I want you to go out and play with grit, get offensive rebounds, you know, maybe get double digits, work on your free throws, make those when you need to, and you're going to get some definite minutes, and I think that's been the difference, and it's just an example of how much Sean Miller is able to get out of his players, but no, I definitely think that anything short of maybe a sweet 16 or an elite eight is going to be a disappointment for Sean Miller. And you just answered my question. My next question was going to be last year, you know, it wasn't the same non-conference schedule. We had to play Gonzaga who's ranked right now at six in the country Duke who we lost to in the Phil Knight tournament this season, but they were ranked in, you know, they're not in the top 25 right now, but this team sits here today it's a definitely a tougher non-conference schedule this year for Xavier as it was last year. And, but Xavier sits here today, Alex, and we, and we stand, can, will Xavier fall apart like they did last year? I mean, they had a very non-conference schedule last year where they played very good basketball. But right now, I mean, Xavier's 15-4, and four, but they're kind of in the same spot they were last year. You don't expect a, cla- a collapse, I'm sure, but could it happen? I really don't think it can this year. I don't think that the coaching staff is going to allow that to happen. I think from top to bottom, when you have the coaches that we have, and you know the assistant coaches don't get a lot of credit, but I think that that's been a real big step up from the previous years. Uh, I just they're going to keep the players on track, and you know we've already won a lot of tough games. Obviously, you're going to have a tough stretch here after the Georgetown game, but if they're able to you know escape some of those without you know, just a disastrous stretch of like six or seven losses in a relic we've seen in the last couple of years will be good. And, you know, the team will be on the right track heading deep into the season. I do think a guy that you mentioned the assistant coaches, a guy that I love, and we talked about it this off season. Yes. You bring in Andy Cohen, you bring in David Miller, you get back some good coaches, but the one guy I love the most is Andy Cutler. I mean, you see this guy, he's always got the same outfit on, the strength coach for Xavier. Man, these guys look in shape. These guys look like they're real focused in, and that has to do just not just on the floor but in the strength through. And I believe Andy Cutler is the right guy for the job who coached at Louisville, who coached the Milwaukee Brewers for a while. He has the, you know, the experience, but I think he's done a very good job here at Xavier. 
Yeah, for sure, and especially with what uh, Coach Miller's demanding out of these players, you see every every time that they get a defensive rebound, he's screaming for them to run run it up the court as fast as possible. And you know that you have to be in great shape to do that. And in the previous years, I would say you saw players, you know, reaching down for their knees a lot, and they were out of gas. Um, but they look like they're in great shape this year and are able to run with anybody in the country. Do you think there's a glorified best team, a bona fide best team in college basketball. We saw Kansas lose. Kansas State beat Kansas this week. Kansas was ranked number two in the country. Houston looks pretty good, but they've struggled in some games. Purdue's looked okay, but they've they've lost one game, but they've had some tight games also. Xavier's ranked, of course, number eight in the country right now, but they will fall after their loss to DePaul. Is there one team that you say is better than anybody else right now about midway through the regular season in the conference play? Well, if I had to pick one team right now just based on their success the last few years, I would probably have to say Kansas. Uh, obviously winning the national championship last year and with, you know, their success with Bill Self as the coach. They got a couple great players, you know, new I believe the new guy's name's Grady Dick and he's been mm-hmm. playing really well for them. Yeah. And then I go to Houston. Uh, they made it to the Elite 8 last year. They look great again. Kind of similar to Xavier. They offensive powerhouse, but they they struggle when they're not making their shots. They had a couple of close games, one in particular to South Florida recently that got closer than I'm sure they would like. But it is hard to tell with a team like Houston when they're playing in the American Conference uh, with that level of competition there. But they have shown year in and year out that when they get to March Madness, they're able to get the job done. And TCU took the loss last night, who was ranked in the top 25. They lost to West Virginia, 74-65, TCU came into that game ranked 14th in the country. So you're seeing teams lose. We mentioned Xavier's got to not a reevaluate, but refocus in the next game. The big game for me is coming up is Providence. We'll get over to the Bengals here in a moment and the NFL divisional round. But that's the game that's really on my calendar if you're a Xavier fan trying to get down to a game. Can Xavier win the Big East regular season? Yeah, I think you go back to that 2017-2018 year, I believe they lost four or five games in the conference, um, which is I, – I would say the magic number this year is going to be around there, with especially with a great team like UConn already at four losses, is it? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's very much within reach for Xavier. Obviously, they're going to have to compete with Providence and Marquette. And, you know, a sleeper team is even Creighton, um, who has looked very good of late. But as long as, you know, Xavier kind of just plays consistently, doesn't get too, you know, emotional, too down on themselves, I don't see a way that they're not in it by the end. Because, let's be honest, Marquette and Providence are going to have their ups and downs too. It's not just going to be us. And you just have to stick the course, and you're going to be there um, at the end. And if you win the Big East, you're looking at a top, you know, a top seed in March Madness. It's one of the toughest conferences to play, and you're certainly battle-tested coming out of this conference. Xavier, a big game on Saturday at Georgetown. We'll get our prediction on that a little later in the show. I want to get over to the NFL now, Alex. We've seen the wild card round close, super wild card weekend. The Bengals sat at 4-4 four and four at one time, and we've talked about them a lot during the first semester, during the early parts of their season. But they've gone on to win nine straight games. We can talk about all those games, but I really want to get to the wild card, the playoffs right now. 
Last week, they're at home against Baltimore. It's a close game going into the fourth quarter. The Bengals, Ravens are two yards away from scoring a touchdown. Tyler Huntley goes up high. They rip it out. Logan Wilson does. Sam Hubbard goes 98 yards the other way. The fumble in the jungle. And the Bengals win the football game. Enough said, right? Maybe. Take me through the Bengals right now, where you feel about the team, how you feel they're playing, and can the Bengals find a way to keep it going? Yeah, obviously, you know, last week was probably closer than a lot of fans would have liked. You know, me and me and you at the game, you're wondering, down to the last second there, Tyler Huntley almost completes that Hail Mary um, off a of deflection, and you have to assume that John Harbaugh would have went for two. And that would have been, you know, the most nerve-wracking play probably in recent years for Bengals fans, uh, especially when they basically had nothing to lose. They would have gone for two, tried to send the Bengals packing. But at the end of the day, the Bengals prevailed. And whenever you play a divisional opponent, especially two weeks in a row, it's going to be really hard to win. The Bengals and Baltimore know each other so well. Um, it's... I knew it would be close. I just wasn't hoping it would be that close. The offense didn't look great, but Baltimore has had one of the top defenses, especially since they've went went out and added Roquan Smith. Uh, you know, but I think going into this Buffalo game, it's a much different type of game. You even heard Jesse Bates say, "Okay, now we win this game, we get to go play real football next Sunday." Uh, with that, you know, Baltimore offense that's kind of. I hate to say it, but it's kind of candy. Uh, it's a lot of college RPOs, a lot of handing the ball off uh, to J.K. Dobbins, a lot of QB sneaks by Tyler Huntley, not a lot of consistent passing where you can get into a defensive rhythm. It makes it hard on you. But then you switch gears to a team in Buffalo that had you know Super Bowl aspirations from day one after losing in that great uh, iconic division round last year to the Chiefs. Uh, Josh Allen, you know, he was pretty much the unanimous MVP at the beginning of this year, but he's really hit a skid uh, heading into this game, turning the ball over uh, three times last week, two interceptions, one fumble recovery that resulted in a touchdown, and then two additional fumbles that happened to be recovered by his own team. Josh Allen has turned the ball over any, uh, more than any quarterback in the NFL this year, which I think has been a major surprise for not only the NFL, but the Buffalo Bills, they rely so much on them. It's going to come down to the quarterback matchup between Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. If I'm a Bengals fan, I like the way that Joe Burrow is taking care of the ball, uh, and I like the way that our defense has been playing. Uh, I expect us to go out and get some turnovers on Josh Allen and win the football game. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. The defense, it seems like ever since the Tampa Bay game in the first half, the offense struggled, and it feels like since then, Baltimore, New England, second half there. Even last week against Baltimore again in the playoffs, it hasn't been able to get the offense going, and that's been probably maybe the offensive line that's been injured. Jonah Williams goes down in week 18. You know, you had Ladale Collins go down in week 16 against New England, and then you lose uh, – also, you also lose your other offensive lineman, Alex Kappa, who we signed in the offseason that big contract – and the final game of the regular season against the Ravens. So, yes, you can mention that, but if the defense wasn't playing well right now, if we weren't led by that defense, it would be a whole other story, and I don't think we'd be on a nine-game win streak, and I don't think we would have won that game last week. I mean, they won us the football game. They won us the game in New England. 
They We didn't really do much in the second half against Baltimore in the final game of the regular season. They got that win there and got us the home game against Baltimore in the playoffs. This defense, led by Logan Wilson, led by Sam Hubbard, led by Trey Hendrickson, who two of those guys I mentioned were on injuries this season, led by a great secondary, DJ Reader. That's how we're winning games. Joe Burrow's playing great, but the offense has struggled, and that defense has stepped up huge. Yeah, totally. And a name that I don't want to forget in this podcast is Jermaine Pratt. I mean, that guy just comes alive in the playoffs. You almost see him. I was sitting, yeah, you almost had that pick. I, I was sitting up in the second deck, and it was on the opposite side of the field of last year. But in just about the same situation, the opposing team marching down the field, down seven, late game, he almost goes up and recreates an OB, OBJ catch for an interception to end the game. And that would have been something he just didn't quite grab it. But he also had a hand in that uh, fumble in the jungle, uh, assisting Logan Wilson and punching out that ball uh, with – Magnetic hands by Sam Hubbard, hustling down the field for that play. But this Bengals defense just does not get the credit they deserve. They don't have the big names as some of the other teams, but they are just solid. Do you believe in the offensive line? Uh, Cincinnati kid and Jackson Carbon looking like he's going to get the start. They haven't announced anything about Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams playing. We'll see the injury report today if they, play, if they practice today on Friday. But it looks like you're going to have Carmen, Sharping, and Adenogy, three guys who didn't start the season, have played in the last three or four games. And can they hold up against Buffalo? You know, Buffalo's a team that their defense is not great, especially since they've lost Vaughn Miller. Um, They can still get to the quarterback. I believe they had three or four sacks last week. But that was against a reeling a Miami team that struggled drastically, and that's just not the same case for the Bengals. Uh, I believe that it's not really going to come down. The offensive line is going to obviously be a, a struggle in that game. You hope that Burrow maybe takes two or three sacks. Uh, you just don't want him to take four or five, six. That's when it's going to become a problem. But as long as he has enough time to get those quick passes off, I believe that he's going to be able to torch the secondary of Buffalo, it's just going to come down to if he has that millisecond of time to get the ball off. I'm a little nervous about this game. And this is being a personal Bengals fan. I don't know. We talked. You mentioned Xavier. A sweet 16 is where you would like them to be after 11-game win streak. And you talked about nothing less would probably be a letdown. Anything more would be great. For the Bengals... You know, Joe Burrow comes in the lead. He gets injured in his first season. Last year, they go to the Super Bowl. Nine-game win streak. They were 4-4 four and four at one time this season. And here we sit in the divisional round. Three games left if the Bengals can win them all to the Super Bowl. Are you a little bit ner- – I'm sure you're nervous a little about this game. I'm, I am as well. But are you worried that the Bengals – if they don't win this game, this would be a letdown of the season, or would you call this a good run, but Buffalo just was a better team? I think that it would have to be considered a letdown. Uh, you know, obviously Joe Burrow says that his window is his entire career, but I truly do believe that the Bengals are the better team than the Buffalo Bills this year. Um, obviously, with the injuries that the Bengals have had, you have to give them a bit of leeway. 
Uh, because if I believe if we are at full strength and Buffalo is at full full strength, we're the better better team at every uh, at, you know facet of the game. But with a guy like Joe Burrow quarterback, you almost get kind of that eerie Tom Brady feeling where anything short of a championship, especially when you have a franchise like the Bengals, who have never won a championship, until you get that first one, I think anything short of that is going to feel like a failure for Bengals fans. It's going to be exciting. It's supposed to get a little bit of snow. I think they're calling for some snow, cold conditions in Buffalo, which a lot of Bengals fans thought this game should be a neutral site. I think the same thing. That's my opinion. And Bills fans and a lot of fans won't agree with that, so that's okay. But to that point, Alex, we're, let's pick some of our games right now. Let's dive into this. As And we're going to bring in our playoff analyst, Dan Reichart, who's going to help us with our picks. Dan, who was the fan of the week back when the Yankees were in the playoffs earlier in the first semester of the school year, and glad to have Dan back on with us today. And Dan, how you doing? How was the holiday break for you? I had a great holiday break. Thank you guys for having me on the show. Of course. Thanks for coming on and spending some time with us. Um, Alex, you want to go NFC first? Do you want to just play them by the times of the games? How do you want to pick these things? Let's start with the Saturday slate, John. All right, so I got Jaguars Chiefs 430 on NBC. Chiefs favored by 8.5 in that one. So that means Collinsworth's on the call. I was looking at this game, Alex. I do think the Chiefs win the game because they're better team. They got the home game. They're playing at Arrowhead, which has been a hard place to play. And Arrowhead deserves their respect. For five years, Patrick Mahomes has dominated home field there. He's dominated inside his division. He's dominated the playoffs. But 52.5 points is the over-under in this game. So that means they're expecting the Jaguars to score some points. And you look at that offense with Travis Etienne, with Trevor Lawrence, they have some good receivers, they have a decent defense, and they came back from 27 nothing down to beat the Chargers. They can score the football. So I think there's a shot. I do give the Chiefs the win, but I think the Jags will cover. I think it's 8.5, so I think the Jags cover in that football game. The Chiefs do win in Kansas City, though. Alex? You know, this is going to be an interesting game, I think. And, you know, you've heard the storylines for the last couple weeks. Trevor Lawrence has never lost on a Saturday in high school or college or the NFL. Uh, I actually was listening to an interview with Coach Doug Peterson, who was, like, trying to act like he didn't hear that stat out of superstition. But I think this is going to be a closer game than a lot of people think. I think the Chiefs are... Uh, a bit more vulnerable than a lot of the media is willing to say. Uh, they've had a lot of close games, especially recent, recently besides that Raiders game. You know, this is a team that almost lost to Denver twice and the Texans and really had a couple miracle plays to prevent that from happening. And this is a Jaguars team that's going to make the most out of their opportunity. They have nothing to lose. I do like the Chiefs still to win, but I certainly think that the Jags are going to at least cover. Uh, like Alex just said, late in the season, Broncos on the road at the Chiefs, massive spread, and the Broncos did end up covering, barely losing that ball game. So I do see a similar type of situation going on here with the Jaguars. I believe the Chiefs are going to get out early, just like the Chargers did versus the Jaguars, but they've always been a second-half team. They're going to show some fight, and they should cover that eight-and-a-half-point spread. That's going to be an interesting game. 
and I'm looking forward. That's going to be the first game, so I'm looking forward to that thing getting started. That's right after the Xavier Georgetown game, so we got a packed day on Saturday. Led by, after that, I think the big game on Saturday is the Giants and Eagles. 8-15, Fox has the coverage, and they're giving the Giants in this game. Giants, are only if they only have to lose by a touchdown, because it's 7.5 points to the Eagles right now. I think New York wins the football game. They're looking very good. Brian Dable's a great coach, and he's really got his troops behind him. And I think this team is set in stone, can go up there and win it. I know it's going to be cold conditions. I know their fans are tough. But I think the Giants win the game. They have a great run game. And the defense is playing very well right now. John, I never thought I would have said this a couple weeks ago, but I think that you are right on this. I do like the Giants to win this game. I think that Jalen Hurts is hurt still. I think that he is injured and he is just playing through it. You saw him play last week, or not last week, but two weeks ago rather. He did not look like himself. Uh, wasn't able to make some of the throws that he was making earlier in the year. Certainly did not look like an MVP caliber player. Uh, I think that he's playing in a bit of an uncomfortable position just because, you know, they want to go out and compete for the Super Bowl. But I think if it was still the regular season, he would not be playing. They're not the Jets, though, Alex. Very true. Do you believe in Danny Dimes? You know, he almost has taken the role, especially of late uh, and last week, of an Eli Manning. You remember in those teams where he didn't necessarily have to do a ton besides make a few plays here or there, relying heavily on the defense and the run game. Um, but he's been serviceable, and that's really all you can ask out of uh, Mr. Dimes. And he's been playing well, uh, certainly exceeding my expectations for him. Danny, what do you think? I'm actually going to have to disagree with you both. I think with the Eagles coming off the bye week, well-rested, home game, I think we can see sort of a 27-17 type of game. While Danny Dimes has played well all year, I think the sort of Cinderella end, Cinderella season might be coming to an end for the Giants this weekend. So Danny's got the Eagles. Me and Alex both got the Giants. So this is going to be an interesting matchup on Saturday. Now let's get over to our Sunday games. We'll go NFC first here, Alex. Cowboys 49ers, 6.30 Sunday night, also on Fox. Do you believe in Brock Purdy? Well, I mean, John, the guy hasn't lost since he's entered the league. He's got probably the best surrounding cast of any NFL team as far as offense and defense. I think that they're going to kill them boys this week. That'd be a 12-game win streak. They've won 11 straight without Jimmy Garoppolo, without Trey Lance, with Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. I think... Uh, I'll say Niners. It's going to be tough, though. I mean, it's going to be a really close game. That one's a hard one to pick for me. But I got Niners. I think the Cowboys got a good team. They really went into Tampa and put a number into the Buccaneers. Danny, what do you think about this one? Again, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Both the Giants, I mean, uh, excuse me, the 49ers, massive win streak here. It's going to have to come to an end at some point. We did just see Dak Prescott, five touchdowns against the Buccaneers, lit them up. He's hot. The team's playing good right now. Purdy never lost a game. 
and every QB loses at some point. Um, Cowboys plus five is my pick, and they might just win the game outright. The big one on the weekend. The big, big one. The Bengals are the underdogs in this one. The Bills are getting five and a half, and it's been rising all week. And Alex, there's one thing the Bengals love. You got to play them, but the Bengals like to be underdogs. And they are in Buffalo in the snow on Sunday at 3.30. I got to go Bengals. I mean, Joe Burrow's a better quarterback. They're going to hold it in. They're going to keep it in check. The defense is going to play well. And they're the better team. The Bills, if they don't throw it deep, the Bills, if they – if they can't run the football in the snow, they have to throw it deep. And I'm feeling confident that this Bengals team is the better team on any given Sunday. What do you think, Alex? Well, John, I totally agree. I think that with this Bengals defense, Josh Allen's not just going to be able to throw the 50-yard bombs that he's able to do on any given Sunday to the average NFL team. He's going to have to take his dump downs where he's thrown a lot of interceptions. Uh, and Josh Allen, he's the guy that I really like as a quarterback. Obviously, him and Joe Burrow are good friends and both work with Jordan Palmer in the offseason. Old Bengal quarterback. Yeah, brother of Carson Palmer out in Los Angeles. But I think right now, and I was actually watching First Take this morning, and every single person on the panel, they were asked the question, who would you rather have uh, as your franchise quarterback if you started today? And every single person on the panel took Joe Burrow, which I think – if you look at the beginning of the year, I would say just about every single person would have taken Josh Allen. But they see a guy in Joe Burrow who's a lot more responsible with the ball. You know, He's willing to take the three points instead of the interception, which Josh Allen has thrown a lot of red zone interceptions this year, uh, which has hurt the team. But you know, he is the entire Buffalo Bills organization. They are going to trust him uh, with every decision that he makes. But at the end of the day, I like Joe Burrow as an underdog playing with a chip on his shoulder in this one to go out and get the dub. Me and Alex both got the Bengals. Danny, you've been against us most of our picks here. What do you like? So Alex mentioned he was watching first take today. I actually was watching The Herd with Colin Coward, and he believes that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to march into Buffalo and blow out the Buffalo Bills. And I'm going to be honest with you. I do not think he's too far off. We just watched Josh Allen at home against the Miami Dolphins. Interceptions, fumbles. He did not look good out there. The team did get the win. He's going to have to face a much better team this weekend in the Bengals. Bengals plus five and a half, lock of the week. And you know what? I think they're going to win the game outright while we're at it. It's a big weekend of sports. Four NFL divisional round games. Xavier's in action, 12 o'clock on Saturday. And Alex, I'm looking forward to it. Final comments from you this afternoon as we wrap this show up and our 11th show right here on Muskie's Talk. And thank you for joining us for the second semester. And we're back here after the holiday break. Alex, what do you want to wrap it up with? Well, we certainly got an electric weekend of sports here. And then, you know, next weekend you got the AFC and the NFC Championship with the Super Bowl right around the corner and some great college hoops to go with it. For Alex Burnett, Dan Reichard, thanks for joining us, our guest host today. As our fan of the week, I'm John Baldridge. Everybody have a good week, and we'll hear from you next time. Take care.